There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. This episode is a rerun. It originally aired in 2018. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and today we're speaking with dermatologist Dr. Christine Lopez. We're taking all your uh, questions regarding skincare issues or dermatology issues. But before we begin, please remember that this is for informational purposes only, and this is not to replace your own physician's advice. Thank you so much for coming today. Of course. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share my knowledge about dermatology to the community. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to give us a little bit of your background? Of course. I'm Dr. Christine Lopez and I joined the Cleveland Clinic in 2000 to pursue my most micrographic surgery fellowship. Prior to that, however, I completed my dermatology residency in the Philippines at the Skin and Cancer Foundation in Manila. After my fellowship, I redid my residency here at the clinic in order to be board certified in the United States. Since then, I've been practicing at the clinic, focusing my practice on skin cancer management, dermatologic surgery, and cosmetic dermatology. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Well, let's go ahead and start with our first question. Um, we have a question from Brandon. I'm getting small white bumps around my eyes. What are they and how do I get rid of them? Good question <laughs> to start with. So white bumps can be a number of different things. And I think this is where a visit to your dermatologist would be necessary because you can only imagine there are a number of benign growths um, that can appear around the eyes. But more importantly, there are some of these benign growths that could be signs of something else going on in your body that needs to be addressed. A visit to a dermatologist is what I would recommend to figure out, is this a syringoma? Mm -hmm. Is this amelia? Is this... Um, and a variety of other benign conditions, xanthelasma, which can be related to your cholesterol levels. So a visit to a dermatologist is definitely recommended. Can we remove them? We do have some lasers that we can use to help flatten them, but because a lot of these growths actually go deeper in the skin, the attempt to remove them completely may leave you with scars. So we don't like to completely remove them. We can use particular procedures to help flatten them, but not necessarily completely remove them. So to even them out, just mm -hmm. not completely remove. Do it scarring? Mm -hmm. Great. Exactly. Um, I have another question from Jim. Are there certain foods or ingredients that I should avoid for breakouts on my skin? Still a controversial question. <laughs> um, there's definitely some studies uh, that have shown highly fatty foods, um, high foods and high sugar that can contribute to acne, but these are not what we call randomized control trials that um, account for a lot of different aspects um, to ensure that we are making particular recommendations based on evidence. So the jury is still out there uh, in terms of diet and acne. Great. All right. And then we have Kim. Can you explain what type of sunscreen is best? Should I be wearing waterproof or water resistant? Is there anything over SPF 30? 
um, or anything less than SPF 30 is it useless? And then I'll add to that about spray tans because I know there's a lot of spray tans. People say, do you rub them in? Do you spray them in? And, and is that as well useful? So sun protection and sunscreen. Mm -hmm. I think you made a good point by saying, is it useless to use anything SPF 30 and above? What I normally tell my patients is, more importantly, is to put on a sun protection on a daily basis. It's not just to put it on when you're going out in the beach or out in the pool. It's making a habit of using sun protection on a daily basis. And for, for everyday life in Cleveland, um, <laughs> SPF 30 and above would be adequate. But if you are going to be outdoors watching your kid's soccer game or going out in the pool, I would use SPF 50 and higher. And although it doesn't give you significant um, improvements in terms of protection, it's the amount of time that you're able to keep it on without having to reapply that changes. So for an SPF 30, I would reapply it every two, three hours if you're outside. If you're putting on an SPF 85 or 100, an hour or two. Yeah. I'm sorry, longer. The opposite. Right. Longer. Right. Um, but I think the biggest problem is not really choosing whether it's SPF 30 or 85. It's choosing one that you will like the texture, the smell, um, enough to use it on a daily basis. And I tell my patients, much like you brush your teeth yeah. first thing in the morning, put on that sun protection so you know that you're protected. Because even in our cloudy days here in Cleveland, which are many, mm -hmm. um, the sun still goes through the clouds. Mm -hmm. The sun goes through the windows of the car, windows at home. Um, and uh, I would just be protected on a daily basis by, keeping, by putting that sunscreen on first thing in the morning. So don't, not just when we're going to the beach or going out, Correct. this is a daily Absolutely. habit. And in fact, put it on 30 minutes beforehand because many of our sunblock are chemical sunscreens, mm. which need some time to be on your skin to be um, effective. There are also some physical sunblock, like zinc oxide-based or titanium oxide-based sunblock that are physical sunblock. Those don't need to be on your skin 30 minutes before it can be effective. But nonetheless, just get in the habit of putting it on before you even go out. Adventure. Oh, very interesting. Thank mm -hmm. you. You talked about sun tan, <clears throat> spray tan. Oh, spray tans. Yes, spray tans. yes right. Um, so spray tans, what's important about spray tans is the fact that they don't protect your skin from the sun. Okay, They're merely there to give you color. So I if see. you think that putting on a spray tan is sun protection, it isn't. Um, do you spray it? Do you put it on? You know, It, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think what's important is how it makes you look, because that's all there is to spray tans, mm -hmm. because you like the look. <laughs> but there are nice ones nowadays that give you a more natural look than they used to be years past. Excellent. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And we have Steve. I have a large scar on my arm from a surgery. Is there something I can take or apply to make it less visible? I always tell my patients, a scar is a scar will always be a scar. There are procedures that we can do to make the scars less visible, but nonetheless, they will still be a scar. After the procedure, we usually tell our patients to keep the area nice and moist so that um, the sutures or anything can come off very easily. Mm -hmm. A scab during the healing process delays the healing and creates more scarring. So the more moist the environment is during the healing process, the better the scar will look like. 
after the sutures come off, keeping it nice and moist again with Vaseline or any of the products out there, Mederma or anything else, is merely providing moisture to the skin and to the scar, which will make it look a little better. Is it worth the hundreds of dollars? It's going to make very little improvement. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest issue here is managing expectations. You shouldn't expect the Mederma or the silicone sheets to drastically improve the appearance of the scar minimally. Interesting. Great. All right. And Janet, psoriasis, what can be done to stop it from spreading? Number one, um, there are a number of topical treatments that we use to treat psoriasis. We use topical steroids, we use vitamin D um, creams, we use light therapy. Sometimes if it's extensive enough, we may opt for systemic medications like methotrexate. Um, but more recently, there are products called biologics, which are synthetic human-derived products that are used to treat psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. And those are injected um, medication in the areas that are involved will help minimize its spread. But nonetheless, staying active on your treatment regimen for psoriasis is probably the best avenue to control psori psoriasis. Great. Me. Thank you. All right, and we have Sharif. I have a very resistant dandruff in my hair. Any strong medications for that? Skin or scalp dandruff is very common um, in dermatology. We call it seborrheic dermatitis, and we can see it not just on the scalp, but also on the eyebrows, around the nose, ears, chest, around the mouth. Um, and we usually treat that first with over-the-counter um, anti-dandruff shampoos. But there is an um, antifungal product called Nizoral and a 2% formulation that is available by, um, as a shampoo. Um, as well as a cream that can be used to uh, control that. Excellent. Great. And we have uh, Ruthann. Is there an effective repair on my nostril after, is it Mohs surgery, M-O-H-S? Mm -hmm. um, I have cartilage blocking on my left nostril. Yes. Uh, we, we work very closely with our plastic surgery and our ENT facial plastic surgery colleagues to address issues like that. Yes, there are a number of reconstructive options that carry that side effect um, in the process of reconstruction, and we openly discuss that with our patients, and we, if we need the help of our ENT or plastic surgery colleagues, we would refer you to them to help alleviate that problem. Great. All right, and then I have a Bernie. I am 76 years old and I have crepey skin on my arms. Can you recommend a lotion or treatment to help with that? We like to use, um, I think similar to sun protection, mm -hmm. putting lotion on a daily basis is what's going to help minimize that. Um, I usually tell my patients, you know, within three to five minutes of getting out of the shower to just lather yourself self up with lotion. So not only is it going to prevent dry skin, but it's also going to help hydrate the skin and minimize the appearance of creepy skin. In addition to just bland moisturizers that are available over the counter, there are products that you may want to look for in particular that add extra moisture um, into the skin as well as exfoliate it and enhance um, the um, production of collagen to help minimize that creepy appearance. 
We look for products that contain glycolic acid, lactic acid, um, and there are products out there that are available over the counter. Um, here in the U.S., SkinCeuticals, for example, may have um, a line of um, products, mm -hmm. Aqua Glycolic, um, uh, MD Forte. There are a number of products that are over, available over the counter, as well as products that you can get as cosmeceuticals, which are dispensed out of a physician's office. And we have Judy. I have broken spider veins on my cheeks from having them stretched during an oral surgery. Is there anything I can do? Yes. <laughs> we actually have a vascular laser that helps target that specifically. Um, they're called telangiectasias if they're teeny tiny. And um, the laser targets the blood vessels, heats them up so that they collapse. But they're not getting rid of them. They're merely closing them down so they can reopen. So it's not a one-time treatment. It's usually a treatment that we would recommend every three to four months um, for a series of maybe three or four times, and then after that, a touch-up every year. Excellent. Great. Mm -hmm. um, I have a question from Joe. I have rosacea. Is there an over-the-counter solution? Um, I was allergic to minocycline and not sure about the other treatments. Yes. <clears throat> rosacea has many different variants. You can have just the pinkness of rosacea, which mm -hmm. that laser that I just spoke about can address. Mm -hmm. um, you can also have what we call the papulopustular variant, where you get little pimple-like lesions associated with your rosacea that flare with environmental changes, um, certain eating spicy foods, hot beverages, and all that. Mm -hmm. And that we usually address with a topical antibacterial cream, a prescription, um, as well as other minocycline-like antibiotics not primarily as antibacterial, but more anti-inflammatory. Um, in terms of over-the-counter products, because redness is a common theme in rosacea, we will recommend green-based tinted moisturizers um, that are available over-the-counter um, to cover up the red, mm -hmm. um, as well as sun protection, that because that also aggravates rosacea. Sure. Um, but yes, the green-based moisturizers can help minimize the redness that is a prominent feature in rosacea. Awesome, great. And we have um, Jolyn. I am 59 years old and still getting blackheads in the chin area along with some acne in the same areas. I need some help as to the best cure. You may think that acne is predominantly an a teenage condition, but it actually has two peaks. So we see a lot of acne in the teenage years with the um, rush of hormones into the system, but we also see it in the 40, 50 age range. Mm -hmm. And most commonly, we see them around the mouth and, again, related to hormones. So we usually, when you come and see the dermatologist, we'll assess is the, is the acne hormone related, and therefore we may treat that with um, hormone replacement therapy, um, prescriptions like aldactone, um, and if it's severe enough, we may look to our oral isotretinoin mm -hmm. um, or Accutane products to address them, but it's very common to get acne in the 40 to 50 age range, particularly around the mouth, as it is hormone related. Mm -hmm. Does stress have to do anything with that as well? Stress has a lot to do with everything. Um, a lot of skin conditions definitely are aggravated with um, stress. So modifying 
um, stress and, uh, you know, getting into a healthier habit mm -hmm. and managing your stress will only help your skin condition. And I have uh, San uh, Sandra. What can be done with those ugly age spots on my face? They're too dark to cover up with makeup and they make me very self-conscious. There are many dark spots in the dermatologist's eyes. They can just be plain old freckles, um, which are the smaller light brown ones. Mm -hmm. um, there can be something we call lentigo or lentigenes, plural, which are more well-formed um, dark spots or age spots. That's probably what people consider. Um, and then there are ones that are a little thicker, and those are benign growths called seborrheic keratosis. So depending on what these brown spots you're talking about, there are things that we can do. Mm -hmm. Sun protection um, can help the freckles and the uh, lentigo or lentigenes, okay. but not the seborrheic keratosis or those benign growths, the thicker ones. Um, the age spots that are flat can be improved with the use of liquid nitrogen, for example, and then we also have some different lasers that can help address these brown spots, um, as well as topical bleaching creams. So those are products that we would recommend to address the freckles, as well as the lentigo or lentigenes. But for seborrheic keratosis, which are benign overgrowths on the top layer of the skin, mm -hmm. um, those can look flesh-colored, pink, light brown, dark brown. Some people may, you know, may be worried because it looks like a melanoma. They can be ugly looking like barnacles. Those can either be frozen with liquid nitrogen if they're relatively flat, but otherwise we would numb it up and scrape them off because they're literally mm -hmm. overgrowth on the top layer of the skin. Wow. And a lot of people call them age spots. So sure. depending on what you consider age spots, there are a number of things that we can do. So if someone has many spots on their bodies, many of the dark spots like mm -hmm. hundreds, do they get mm -hmm. them all checked out or which ones stand out that maybe I should go see a physician? So when you see a dermatologist, mm -hmm. we usually do a full body skin exam where we look at everything. Oh, okay. And depending on what stands out, whether it's a mole, which is not just an age spot, but it could be a mole or it could be a benign keratosis, like I said, and we will bring that to your attention and then address them specifically. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, okay, and um, I have Jen. How do I know when a mole is cancerous? Should I look? Should I? Should it look a certain way? There are things that we look for in moles um, that we call the ABCDEs of melanoma. Mm -hmm. A asymmetry. Does one half look like the other half? B border. Are the borders fuzzy? Does it have a little notch or does it have a little protrusion? C color. Does it have two, three shades of brown or the shades of blue, gray, red, black? Um, white, um, those are concerning. Mm -hmm. D diameter, greater than six millimeters, which is like the back of a pencil eraser. But I've certainly seen a melanoma that was pinpoint, Sharpie wow. black. Wow. Um, and E, which is the most important, is evolution. So if you have a lot of, so moles that change. So if you have a lot of moles, um, and if you have a strong family history of melanoma or abnormal moles, a visit to a dermatologist is definitely recommended. And that's where we look at you and we say, okay, you've got a higher chance of um, developing cancer based on what we see. And mm -hmm. therefore, we need to see you every six months versus every year versus every two years. And we look at the ABCDEs all in, con in collaboration, meaning just because it's asymmetric uh, doesn't mean it's a melanoma. You know, we put all that into consideration. We look at all your moles. And we obviously don't go out there and remove 10 of your moles. 
Right. We look at what stands out the most, which we call the ugly duckling mole, mm -hmm. um, and we sample that and look at it under the microscope. Essentially, we're triaging these and looking at it under the microscope. So that's a beauty in dermatology is we're able to see what's on the surface, mm -hmm. and we can sample the skin easily enough to look at it under the microscope. And then when we look under the microscope, they can tell us, is it mildly atypical, moderately atypical, severely atypical, or is it a melanoma or a melanoma mm -hmm. in situ? And then depending on what we find under um, the microscope, it'll help guide how aggressive we need to be when we're looking at your molds on an annual or every six-month basis. Very interesting information. Mm -hmm. Very good. Thank you. And I have another question uh, from Cassandra. Uh, when I go lay out in the sun, I get tan, but then I get white spots on my skin. There is a condition with many words called idiopathic guttate hypomelanosis, which is common in, um, I'd say, in the 40s, 50s um, of different skin types. Mm -hmm. So some people will develop that, little white areas, and it's just the nature of their skin. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, most commonly on sun-exposed areas, and that's just the type of skin that you have. So it's, it's nothing that can go away? Are treated. Correct. Okay, great. All right. And we have another question here. Are there any new treatments for, I'm going to butcher this, lichens sclerosis? And what are the chances of it becoming malignant? Lichen sclerosis is <laughs> an inflammatory condition of the skin, and it primarily affects the genital area. More common in women than in men. Um, but we can also get something called extragenital lichen sclerosis, where it is obviously not in the genital area. Mm -hmm. um, does lichen sclerosis have a chance to become malignant? No. But the chronic inflammation that is associated with lichen sclerosis predisposes you to developing skin cancers, particularly squamous cell carcinoma. So mm -hmm. lichen sclerosis turning into malignancy? No. But lichen sclerosis, the condition, can predispose you to developing skin cancer. Interesting. Thank you. All right. And I have a question from Judy. Um, I am getting dark spots on my inner thighs that were never there before. And you're probably thinking, hmm. I don't really expose that to the sun. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, there are, so depending if it's flat or raised, mm -hmm. um, if it's flat, there are these dark spots that I mentioned earlier called lentigos that can develop in areas that are not necessarily sun-exposed um, that just develop out of nowhere. Um, then if they're raised, then they can either be skin tags or benign mm. keratosis previously mentioned. So there are a number of brown spots that can happen in that area. Uh, bring it to your dermatologist's attention so you know which one it is. Sure. There's a number of things that sure. it can be. Sure. Now, um, you mentioned putting on lotion daily. Um, I know there's a lot of oils out there, and there's a lot of different types of oils. Do you recommend a certain oil to use daily? Um, not particularly. Um, again, just like with sun protection, pick one that you will like how it feels and how mm -hmm. it smells on your skin so that it's easy enough for you to do on a daily basis. Excellent. Great. And then I have Patty. Uh, what is the best way to treat ingrown hairs? Should I pull them out? Um, so number one, um, pulling them out, depending on how you pull them out, be it waxing, your fingers, tweezers, or whatever, 
um, can potentially predispose you to introducing bacteria into the skin. Mm. So I would probably err to not doing that. Um, there are some products that we use that can help the regeneration of skin more rapidly, like tretinoin, um, that can help with ingrown hairs um, because it increases the um, our skin turnover. Sure. In a chemical way rather than a physical way. Okay. And speaking of ingrown hairs, many people wax versus shaving versus threading. Is there a better way of removing hair? Of course, everyone would wish laser hair removal can take care of everything, yes. right? But it isn't. <laughs> there are limitations to laser hair removal. Um, it, laser hair removal is only good for dark hair, light skin, um, but not for the peach fuzz. Mm. Uh, so what would I recommend? Mm. I would pro If you were to shave, I would definitely make a habit of changing your razor or your blade more frequently than you do. Okay. Because shaving with a dull blade is what potentiates and aggravates the development of ingrown hairs. So like weekly basis, monthly basis, how often? Definitely not monthly. <laughs> I get my daughter disposable razors and I tell her to change them every two or three times. Two, three, okay. two, three, two or three uses. Okay, okay, excellent. Um, waxing um, can be highly irritating, mm -hmm. but it does work well. So I would probably recommend that. Um, Threading I've seen work well too. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's a matter of making sure that you minimize the chance of irritation um, if it does happen, because there's definitely a risk of burning with waxing. Right. So I've seen right. that a lot. Um, so be careful with that um, and addressing the burn immediately after, should it happen. Excellent. Great. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Wow, that flew. <laughs> but before I let you go, is there anything you want to leave our viewers with that maybe we haven't talked about? We may have talked about skin cancer, um, but just because of the burden of that disease. Skin cancer is the most common cancer compared to all cancers in combination. And it is so highly preventable by protecting your skin from the sun. Most of our sun exposure has happened before we even turn 21 or are able to drink legally. Mm -hmm. um, so start your sun protection earlier on because, like I said, skin cancer is such an easily preventable cancer. Um, and what best to do but to take care of our skin. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Well, for more health tips and information, make sure you guys follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now we are also on Snapchat at Cleveland Clinic. One word. And thank you so much for watching. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.